It's great to have you with us today. My name is Dan. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church. And today marks the final uh, message in our uh, series, The King and His Kingdom. And we've been walking through the, the gospel of, uh, of Luke. It's found in the, the New Testament of the Bible. And um, throughout the book of Luke, in his writings, there is this message that Jesus gives uh, again and again that the kingdom of God is here. And then Jesus goes around demonstrating, and we read about how Jesus goes around demonstrating how the kingdom, what the kingdom looks like in operation. We've, as followers of Jesus, we have a king, and his name is Jesus. If we are to live faithfully as disciples, then we must have our eyes firmly fixed on the king, to know his voice, to follow his ways. And so over the last few months, we've explored uh, the gospel of Luke, and we've been looking at what does it look like for the kingdom to have arrived? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus as our king? We have seen that how as Jesus turns up, forgiveness is available. That as Jesus turns up, healing is available, deliverance is available, blessing is available. It's very good news that the kingdom has come. And yet we also live with this reality that the kingdom and the advance of the kingdom comes with hardship. That there is a cost of following Jesus, as Phil shared with us two weeks ago, and that there is also a call to action as Emmanuel so wonderfully shared with us last week. And wasn't he good? Wasn't it great to have a new gift in operation amongst us? Thank you so much, Emmanuel. And it's been amazing as we've explored this stuff to, to hear stories of people coming to know Jesus, to hear stories of people being healed, even last week, to hear about a child in our church being healed of, of eczema. But it's also come with battles, We've seen many battles. I've never known the amount of illness that we're experiencing within the church. I, I, we've seen healing happening, but whilst we've been seeing healing happening, we've also been seeing terminal cancer diagnosis. We've been seeing people struggling with depression. We've been seeing many people who are struggling with different illnesses, who are even here today struggling. We've, we've prayed for healing and we've seen breakthrough in some areas, but then we've also had to walk with people as they've dealt with addiction, addictive behaviors, as people have been dealing with relational breakdown, as people have been dealing with traumatic pasts. We see the kingdom breaking in, but we also realize we still live in a world affected by darkness. And that's the, the tension that we live with, and it's why I, I started the series talking about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. That we live with a kingdom that is here, but it will not be realized in its fullness until Jesus returns and makes all things new. And if we don't live with this healthy theology of the now and the not yet, then what happens is if we're expecting everything to happen now, then we end up just being disappointed or disillusioned when it doesn't happen. But if we expect everything just to happen in the future, then we live with the very little expectation that Jesus is actually going to break in now, that Jesus is going to speak to us now, that Jesus is going to move now. But the now and the not yet is about finding a healthy balance between those two. That we're expecting God to break in, but we're not assuming that we know what he's going to do. It is about expectation without agenda. 
We show up to church, we show up in our workplaces, with our family and our friends, in our homes, and we know that the Spirit of God is at work, but we don't dictate what he does. We get to partner with God as he advances the kingdom. And that means we're expectant and we're reliant. We're, we're confident and we're longing. We're, we're patient and we're hungry. The kingdom is here, but it's also coming. We can experience it today, but there is also a better day coming. And that brings us to the final story of, uh, from Luke that was read to us by Nick. And, and it starts with the, the Sabbath day in the synagogue. The, the Sabbath is a, is a Hebrew word. It means Shabbat. And, and in its most basic definition, it means rest. Um, the idea that that God created all things in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. We read it in Genesis 2, 2 to 3. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God creates everything, and then he rests. Now, naturally, we... We sometimes can treat God and, and imagine God is, is like one of us. You know, we read those verses, and I don't know about you, but I look around at creation and I see how amazing and how complex creation is. And we get to that point of thinking, well, six days he, he created all this, and then on the seventh day he rested because he is tired. Now, it seems obvious to say, but God is not like us. He's not like me. He has no need for rest. Creating the world did not tire him out. He is everlasting. He never tires. He never has a day off. He, he never has a need for rest. So why did he stop? Well, God stops to enjoy all that he's made. At the end of each day of the creation story, he, he creates something and then it says, he, he looks and he said, it is very good. At the end of every day, there is this stepping back to go, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. He creates light, and he goes, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. He creates animals, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. He's not evaluating progress. He's not ticking things off, right? Did I make enough birds? Tick, done, tick, done. No, he's saying, oh, wow. I mean, it is very good. He's enjoying it. And on the seventh day, he takes the day. He creates all things. He steps back, and he enjoys his creation. And that seventh day of rest is to set a precedent from, for his people. From the outset, God wanted Adam and then every human to live, who lives from there, to stop working on the day, seventh day and to enjoy all that's been created. And as, as man stops and rests, he would be receiving the vital rest that he needs to survive. Because although God did not need rest, we do. Anyone ever experienced burnout, you realize you need rest. God from the very beginning says, you need rest. It is very good for you. And so God rests for Adam's sake. And from then on, rest is central for God's people. This concept of, of Sabbath or Shabbat is rolled out. And God created this rhythm in the lives of his chosen people, the Israelites. They work for six and on rest on the seventh. And as they did that, they would be showing all the, the non-Israelites, all those people around them that didn't follow God, what it was like to have God as your creator. 
They were surrounded by nations who worshipped many different gods, mostly created by themselves or by their superstitions. And God had chosen this nation, Israel, to live a different life from those around them. And as they observed this way of living, this six and one, they were demonstrated that they would trust in God to provide all they need. They did not need to work for seven. There's this great story in Exodus 16 where God instructs his people to, to obey the day of rest. And he says, you know, six days you're going to work, on the, 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 I'm going to send manna from heaven to provide for you. And on the sixth day, so he provides manna, the people collect this food they sent from heaven. But on the sixth day, God says to them, I'm going to send double the amount of food that you would normally get. You have to create, collect double up, and then on the seventh day, you'll have enough to sustain you through the day of rest. So people go into collect every day, and on the sixth day they collect double, and then they're told to stay in their tents on the seventh and enjoy this manna that's been provided. But the people couldn't. Some of the people had to go out just to see if there was food there. And in doing so, they, they, they were just showing the nations around them, we, we might follow this God, but we don't really trust him to provide for us. We don't maybe question his goodness. Is he really going to come through for us? They disobey God. They felt that they needed to work a little harder just to make sure. They said that they believed in God, but their lives were just as frantic as all the other nations around them. And then God cements his law of the Sabbath in, in, uh, when he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the seventh day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Six days work, one day's rest. And here God reminds the Israelites just what has happened. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but God has rescued them. He has used Moses to lead them out of slavery. And so in resting, they are celebrating that God has liberated them. They're no longer slaves. And every single week, every single seventh day, they would reenact the freedom that God had brought. Because when they were slaves, they did not rest. But God had saved them so they can rest. And so the Sabbath day was a centerpiece for God's people. Life orbited around it. Business orbited around it. Worship orientated around it. Every Sabbath day, people would gather in the synagogue to worship together. The idea of Sabbath being the central piece is very difficult for us to understand when you've got 24-hour Tesco. But life orbited around it for God's people as they Shabbat every seventh day. And every day, every seventh day, they would gather in the synagogue. You see, Shabbat, as well as meaning rest, it can also use words like stopping, delighting, worshipping. And that's the context that Jesus finds himself. He is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he is teaching. A woman arrives, and she has been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She is bent over. She cannot straighten up. And Jesus sees her. And he heals her. It's another moment where the kingdom of God breaks in. She, she straightens up and she starts praising God. The kingdom is here. 
And what happens is the, the ruler of the synagogue cannot take it. How can Jesus heal on the day he should be resting? Now, this is an important lesson about expectation and agenda. Because when we speak of the kingdom of God, because so often we want to see God breaking in, we want to see his kingdom coming, but only on our terms. I want to see God's blessing being poured out, but I get jealous when others seem to have more than me. I want to see God's healing breaking in, but I cannot celebrate where, and with others when they see the breakthrough I'm yet to have seen in my life. I want to see people come into faith, but surely not that person or not that group. You know, the religious here miss out because they were full of agenda but had no expectation. The people get told off. All the people there watching get told off by the ruler of the synagogue. He says to them, they are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Jesus responds, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? What Jesus is doing here is what he longs to do for all of Israel. By saying this woman is one of Abraham's children, he, he is declaring that she is part of a chosen people. The, the Israelites who get to experience the blessing of the kingdom. He longs to set her free from the grip of Satan to so that she can experience life in the kingdom. And remember what the Sabbath does? It celebrates freedom from slavery for the Israelites. A great act of liberation. And yet this woman was not experiencing freedom. So for Jesus, the priority stops being rest and it becomes seeing this woman free so she could enter into the same Sabbath rest that was given to the rest of God's people. That's the compassion that Jesus shows. That's the one who we follow. I don't know what your idea of Jesus is today, but Jesus is attentive to your needs. You need to know that today. He is attentive to your needs. He truly cares for you. It was amazing just to hear are young people experiencing the love of Jesus? And I wonder how many of us need to again realize that Jesus truly loves us. He truly cares for us. And so in this passage, we see the kingdom breaking in. This is the now of the kingdom. The woman is healed. And it tells us that the people were left rejoicing. Let's never get tired of rejoicing when the kingdom breaks in. It's not, you know... When someone gets up and says, you know, I've been healed, and we kind of give a cricket clap. No, let's never get tired of rejoicing when the kingdom gets, breaks in. Let's get stared when we hear healing prayers or when we see people coming to faith. Let's be like the angels who rejoice in the heavenly places. These people are left rejoicing because this woman is set free. And then Jesus uses this opportunity. I, I, if you read the Gospels, I just love the... Jesus is a, is, a, is a wonderful teacher. He's much more than a wonderful teacher, but he is a wonderful teacher. And he just takes these opportunities, and he, he never misses an opportunity just to kind of go, oh, let's have a little teaching moment. And so he gives them a little teaching moment, and he says, then Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and its birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it was worked through all the dough. 
You know, at this moment, Jesus has been doing some incredible things. He has been teaching. He has been healing people. He has been transforming people's circumstances and lives. His ministry was incredible. And yet he speaks of the kingdom of God as something that doesn't look amazing. Actually, it looks insignificant at times. Firstly, he uses a mustard seed, something small that grows, or a little bit of yeast which permeates everything, and before long, the whole mixture is leavened. He is doing some incredible things, and yet he says, oh yeah, the kingdom of God is, seems insignificant at times. What is he getting at here? They have just witnessed one healing on a Sabbath day. And yet Jesus is saying, when we sow the seeds of the kingdom, you have no idea of what the results are. You know, he speaks of branches of a mustard seed, a mustard tree with birds perched in it. Birds all over the branches of this mustard seed. Now, birds uh, roosting in, in branches is often a, a, scripture, a symbol in scripture of the nations of the earth. Uh, Ezekiel 17, 23, it says, On the height, mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shades of its branches. Or Ezekiel 31, 6, All the birds of the sky nested. All the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the nations lived in its shade. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. Although it starts small, it will grow into a vast empire which all kinds of people and nations will come together and gather around God. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about birds in the branches. We see this picture of eternity in Revelation 7, 9. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The kingdom is advancing, and God is gathering a people from every nation, from every tribe, and from every tongue. It is the, this right now was a moment of a woman being healed on the Sabbath day, but it was a sign of far greater. Today, it might be someone coming to faith. It might be someone being healed. It might be God dealing with the issues in our hearts. It might be reconciliation in broken relationships. It might be justice coming to those who are oppressed. The kingdom is showing signs of breaking in, and yet we wait for a day when we see it in completion. And that day is described in Revelation 21, 1 to 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will be their people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's where we're heading. And so we expectedly look for the kingdom to break in. We pray for breakthrough now. But do you know my hope is not rooted in what happens today, tomorrow or the next day. Because I know that I will not see everything in completion until Jesus returns. 
And that means that we understand that we will, as we follow Jesus, we will see the kingdom breaking in. Please do not walk around expecting God is not, Jesus is not going to meet with you and he, the kingdom is not going to break in. But just understand that we're not going to see it in its fullness. Expectation, not agenda. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we follow Jesus, as we submit to him as king, we know that he is working even when we don't see it. Every prayer that is prayed, every step of obedience that is seen, every act of kindness or of love has impact. And just like the yeast, it can seem insignificant or ineffective, but it takes effect and permeates everything. We watched that with Brown and the team in Malawi earlier, faithfully serving those in need. It's not glamorous when they're up to waist height in water. It's costly, but God is working. Across the nations, we know that is true. We could tell you stories across regions beyond of seeing that. Or I could, we could tell you about places like Iran, in the face of the brutal Islamic revolution, the church is growing faster than any other nation in the world. The underground church, although it's hard to know because it's underground, it's believed to be more than a million believers. I could tell you about Thailand, where they're seeing mass public baptisms as people come to faith. I could tell you of places like Myanmar, where even... Burmese Buddhists are becoming followers of Jesus. Thousands are experiencing revival. You may have heard of the well-publicized Asbury revival happening in U.S. campuses across America, university campuses across America. God is moving. And following Jesus in a secular nation like ours, as much as you can tell me it's Christian, we're secular, it can sometimes feel hopeless but my encouragement is for us to press in again, to give ourselves to following Jesus, to be obedient even when it seems insignificant. The kingdom is advancing and God is using us. Let us believe that as we step forward, as we are follow Jesus, we will see the kingdom moving. And even when we don't see it, we believe that our actions will have an impact far greater than what we can see, even into eternity. And where personally we are struggling today, where things seem overwhelming, where we have more questions than answers, Jesus meets us in those places. As we go through those moments, let us help one another fix our eyes on eternity. There is a better day coming even if we don't experience that better day today or tomorrow. My encouragement to us as a church as we come out of this series is let us not leave it in the archives of a past series. But let us obediently follow Jesus. As we walk from this place, as we finish our time today, as we go back into our circumstances this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday, let us look for how God is building his kingdom. Let's step out, even when it seems insignificant, even when you question, am I even making a difference? Let us obediently follow Jesus and let us see his kingdom breaking in. Would you stand?